it is true that it is an old, old story, but it's just as relevant today as it was when Christ died for us. So as we consider that this morning, we are going to be talking about the gospel and also what results from that in the area of baptism today. We're going to talk about believer's baptism. Now first, before we get there, last week we did talk about giving, and the only reason why I'm mentioning this is because maybe you weren't here you're not going to hear a lot of messages from me on giving, and so if you didn't hear it, then make sure that you either listen to it or just briefly understand that as we're going through several different um, basics to the church, uh, giving is one of those things that we do as a response to what Christ has done for us. And it's not based upon uh, church need per se, and it's not only just what we give to the church, and it's not to enrich the church or those who serve the church. It is designed to be um, an obedient uh, response to um, uh, uh, the stewardship of what God has given to us. And as I mentioned, it's not just giving to the church itself, but it's giving uh, in the name of Christ in other ways. So the biggest thing that we talked about last week in relation to application was we need to have ourselves not only being obedient, but to put ourselves in a position to be able to give. And so as we consider those things, uh, that's just a little review from last week. But now as we move forward, today we're talking about baptism. And we're going to be a little brief in our introduction because everything we're talking about is really building upon this. But baptism simply means to immerse. And it is something that takes place after uh, someone receives Christ their Savior. And we're going to talk about that again throughout our message. But I wanted to start off with a quote. Some of you have... have um, uh, remembered Strong's Concordance. That was that big mule-choking book, right, that, that has all the verses listed in the Bible based upon the words that are used in it so that they're easy to find. Well, we have all different technology today, but back in the day, you had one of those things to look up Bible verses, all right? And if you didn't know where it was, then you, you, you knew the word. You could get, A word, you'd get in there. Well, Strong also happened to, to, to know a little about the Scriptures, too. And so he said this, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo, which is the Greek word for baptize, right? That's where it comes from, uh, is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived in about 200 BC. It is a recipe for making pickles. Now, we're not doing that today, but you get the idea. It's helpful because it, is, it, it uses both words. Now, the other word he's talking about, we'll get there in a minute. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable first must be dipped, bapto. That's that slight, slightly smaller version of the same word, right? Into boiling water, right? We call that blanching, right? Then baptized, baptizo, into the vinegar solution. Both, herbs, both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. Now, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> I want to look at the foundation of baptism, okay? Uh, baptism can be a pretty broad topic. Uh, we could cover uh, different views of baptism this morning, and their pros and cons, different things like that. My purpose this morning is not an exhaustive study of baptism. My desire is to present a reasonably thorough explanation of what it is, all right? Simply put, the foundation for baptism is salvation, Baptism is not the gospel, the good news of Christ. 
But without the gospel, baptism as an ordinance or as something that is we are commanded to do is irrelevant. On a personal basis, without repentance, there is that is the turning from our old life and turning to Christ in faith. Without faith in Christ and Christ alone to rescue us from our sins, baptism is irrelevant. And that means it's irrelevant whether we are baptized or not. All right? So faith is the foundation of it. So I want us to look at some verses that lay a proper foundation for baptism. There are three specific elements that make up Christ's act of atonement. His death, burial, and resurrection. Matthew 27, verses 35 and 30. 30 <laughs> this is not going to work well. Tongue, get right. 35 and 50 say this. And then they crucified him obviously talking about his death, and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. And then in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So we see clearly that Christ died. Matthew 27, verses 58 through 60, talk about his um, uh, burial. Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now you can see here, just in this first part, I've color-coded some things based upon his death, now burial, and now we look at his resurrection. Still in Matthew, Matthew 28. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 and then 9 through 10. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And that's, that's past tense, where he had been, right? And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, re saying, Rejoice. And so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, the reason why I want us to, to look at both these verses is, not only had he risen, but they had physically touched him after his resurrection. They, they, they grabbed him by the feet, you know, basically bowing down to him, acknowledging who he was, uh, certainly out of shock, but they worshipped him, all right? So we see his death, burial, and resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, uh, I read for you um, uh, Peter's uh, uh, sermon after uh, the day of Pentecost when he was uh, basically telling the crowds uh, what was going on and, and why, they were, why they were speaking uh, to them in different things. And what he says here, the, the part of that was in Acts 22, 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have what? Crucified and put him to death. Whom God raised up, right? So when I got that third aspect of it, but then he goes on, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Well, where was he held? For a short period of time in the grave and so we see here these three elements that now peter is is bringing forward the death burial and resurrection of christ 
he now gives to this huge crowd that are listening after all these events took place. And then we see something that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Probably a very familiar uh, passage to, to many of us, but it says here, For I delivered to you, first of all, which I also received. In other words, Peter, uh, Paul saying, I'm not making anything up. This is a new message. I'm giving you what I have already heard, that Christ died. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again according to uh, the third day, sorry, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas and we'll just say so on. Okay? He was seen by over 500 people. So as, as we look at these different elements of the gospel, right, they are still prevalent. This is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So these accounts matter because all three elements fulfill prophecies about the Messiah, which is what uh, Paul was telling us here. They also, again, make up the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ accomplished by dying in our place, being buried, and rising again. All of this so that we could have life. Now, there are actually two baptisms of the believer or follower of Christ that are described after the resurrection of Christ. Um, my point here is not to create confusion. My point is to eliminate confusion, all right? One is spirit baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it's called. The second is water baptism, which sometimes is referred to as believer's baptism. That's what we'll be celebrating today. These are two distinct baptisms with different characteristics, yet both baptisms, as we will see, have their basis and their foundation in the saving work of Christ. That's where the foundation is, which is why I wanted to go through those things with you. So that brings us to spirit baptism. As I said in the previous point, it is called spirit baptism because we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? As usual, it's best to look at the scriptures first, right? Let's take a look and see what the scriptures say. And I want us to first read a good portion of Romans 6 to give us a broader look at uh, spirit baptism. So if you'll uh, look with me to Romans chapter 6, I'll be reading for you the first 14 verses of that passage. So right now I'm giving you the fuller context and then we'll get more specific about the topic that we're looking at right now. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to, to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were baptized with him through uh, baptism into death, um, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead 
indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So as we look specifically at this area of baptism, what we see here is, it says, and let me just read this for you again, or do you not know that as many of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's the first element of the gospel that we talked about, right? Therefore, okay, it would follow that we were buried with him through baptism into his death. Okay, both these things referencing baptism. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. So let's go back here and take a look at this. Let's unpack this just a little bit. It says likeness of his death, likeness of his resurrection. This is not literally dying, okay? We're all here living and breathing, all right? Now, I understand that there's a resurrection talked about, but we're not resurrected yet either. So this is talking about what happens when we are baptized, immersed, identified with Christ through the Holy Spirit. We'll see more about that in a moment. We're going to tie this together. So what I want to see here is this is a spiritual baptism that takes place. This is not the outward um, expression of what has already happened on the inside is the opposite. This is what goes on on the inside in the heart that God does on our behalf. But if you notice, the three elements are there, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, again, you might have noticed that uh, the Romans passage here does not refer to the Holy Spirit as baptizing. But we have another passage, 1 Corinthians 12, that does clarify this. For as the body is one and as many members, we're talking about the body of Christ the church now, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. In other words, doesn't matter our status, doesn't matter our ethnicity. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. So who does this passage say does this spiritual baptizing? The Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He baptizes us. He, he, he spiritually immerses us into Christ, into his body. We become part of Christ. So as we think about this, spirit baptism has several things that we've identified here that, that um, matter. And then we have one more passage to look at. The first thing is, is that is a sovereign act of God. God's the one who does this. God's the one who is, is, is the one through the Holy Spirit who baptizes us, identifies us with, immerses us into Christ. It's completely passive. We're not told what to do or how to do it. We're just simply told this happened, right? 
And it's the origination of salvation itself. This is part of that point of understanding, part of that point of being, of being a child of God. And then also, it is a spiritual event. So I want us to take a look at John chapter 3, verses 3, and then 5 and 6. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, who was Jesus talking to at this time? Nicodemus, a very learned man, a leader of the Jews. And what does he say here? Unless one is born... Most, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can enter the kingdom of God. Let me pause here for just a minute. Water, natural, right? The first time we are born, okay? That's what it's referring to. And then the Spirit, the second birth, we must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That goes back to that water-based birth, right? And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit, so Jesus clarifies this for us. So the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work uh, in and through and for us to bring us into fellowship with God himself. The washing that he does results in cleansing us from sin and regeneration or making us alive. Jesus uh, says that we are then born again. Now, I said there was one slide. I got a little ahead of myself. Um, what I want us to do is take a look at um, something that, that, we, um, that we need to consider. There, there are several aspects to the, the um, uh, spirit baptism that we talked about, right? Sovereign act of God, completely passive, origination of, of salvation, and a spiritual event. See how this compares then to this following passage in Titus, Titus Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Father toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, what did he do? He saved us, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We see every element in Titus 3, as Paul is writing to his friend, that we saw um, in, in the, these other passages. And every element is this again. God is the one who does spirit baptism. It's completely passive on our part. We don't have to do anything. It's simply, as we said, that we are uh, put into the body of Christ. God the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us alive. I got to pause here for just a minute. Are we doing okay so far? Right? We're do I'm serious. We're doing all right? Okay, all right. So we're going to move on now to water baptism. Is spirit baptism something that we have to figure out what to do? No. Are we told that we have to somehow perform it? No. All right? It is done at the point of salvation. In, in, in some ways, we could even say this, that, it, that it's God the Holy Spirit really as, as a catalyst 
who brings that faith and that salvation that's provided all together because he cleanses us, he washes us, and he identifies us with Christ. So now we move ahead to water baptism. First of all, water baptism is commanded, all right? It's pretty simple if we know that we're being told to do something. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? He tells his disciples, uh, who really are transitioning over into apostles now, the sent ones, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make followers of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to see what a, a theologian named uh, Dr. Grudem says about this. He says, if a person is already justified and his, and his sins are forgiven eternally at the point of saving faith, then baptism is not necessary for forgiveness of sins, nor for the bestowal of new Christian life. Baptism, and we're speaking now of water baptism, then is not necessary for salvation. But it is necessary if we are to be obedient to Christ, for he commanded baptism for all who believe in him. As we now consider some other things about water baptism, Acts uh, 2, 37 to 38 says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now we, we already, again, read this passage earlier in our service, but, but here's where I want to start. Now on the surface, this passage seems to say, that baptism results in our sins being taken away. If we just read it just quickly in English, we may look at that. Uh, first, we've already determined that salvation is brought about through the Holy Spirit baptizing us, through the Holy Spirit doing a work in us to place us into Christ. Second, remission, which is the payment or cancellation of sin, is not associated with believers' baptism. I want to look at a couple of verses related to that. Jesus speaking in Matthew 26 and then Luke 24, he says this, For this is the blood of, my, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, remission simply means to be taken away, okay? Uh, then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What's interesting is baptism isn't mentioned here, right? We're talking about what? What he did on the cross for us, his dying for us. That is what allows for, that's what uh, um, uh, uh, remits our sin. That's what takes it away, his replacement for us. Another reason why I want us to be careful about this passage and understand it better is that the word for or ice in the Greek can be used in various ways, including because of or on the basis of. Okay, let me give you an example. This is we're going old school now here, folks. This is an old wanted poster. Okay, wanted poster. It says for Jesse James wanted for robbery and murder. Okay, now we can look at this two different ways. This is an advertisement for Jesse James to please come and rob and murder someone, right? That's that for, okay? That's how we would be reading 
this passage that we're looking at. But instead, it's for because of. He's wanted. Why? Because he's a robber and a murderer. Okay? So that's really what we're talking about. We're not asking him. We're not, we're not making advertisement in order for him to do this. But we're doing it because, or, or, or this is, he's wanted because he had committed these things. And so that's, that's the, the idea behind this passage here, okay? So the verses that follow in Peter's sermon also keep the pattern of faith in Christ, then baptism. This is what follows. Again, we read this for our scripture reading this morning. We ended with verse 38. We're going to start in verse 40 of, of Acts 2. And when many other words, with many other words, he testified and exhorted or encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly what? Received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, again, I read for you what those words were. And those words were all about Christ himself and what he had done and how they had crucified him. And that's when they said, what are we to do? Believe, then be publicly identified with him. So for all these reasons, we should read this passage like this. Be baptized because of the remission of your sins. Be baptized because your sins have been taken away. It's a little bit of a problematic verse. I hope that that's kind of settled in your mind now. But here's the other thing. There are other verses related to water baptism that help us understand that... um, How do I say this? Many other times we see the pattern that we talked about later in this passage, not in the verse that's somewhat controversial. Okay? So we also have to look at the the preponderance, right? The, the, The weight of the many, many times where salvation has nothing to do with baptism. The opposite would be true. If baptism were essential for salvation then we should see it every time. Every time the good news of Christ is talked about. And we simply do not. This this is the out-of-norm, as far as the English is concerned, flow. Okay, that's all I'm trying to get across here so that we have an understanding. So let's go to uh, Acts chapter 8. Verse 12 says this, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, Both men and women were baptized. Okay? So when they believed, he preached, they believed, they were baptized. Pretty simple pattern. Acts 18.8 says this, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord Jesus with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. All right? So what's the emphasis here? The emphasis is believing in the Lord, believing in the message of Christ. I want us to look at uh, uh, chapter 8 here a little bit further. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, I'm going to read for you a section of, of this passage We were already in Acts 8, 
right, where Philip did some baptizing. And now we are in Acts 8 a little bit later on here, starting in verse 26, talking about a pretty familiar um, uh, occurrence that took place here. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shear, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or of some other man. And check this out. And then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. Now I imagine he probably used some other verses in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, right? But that's where he started. Let's keep on. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We'll stop right there. Before we focus on the verses related to baptism, there is some controversy in uh, verse 37. Folks, I realize I'm explaining a lot of things, but I want this to be clear, okay? This verse does not appear in early manuscripts. It appears later on in later manuscripts. We're talking about the earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. This leads some to believe that an overzealous scribe may have felt the need to add something to the conversation. Now, folks, this doesn't change our Bibles. It doesn't change our theology or anything. Keep that in mind as we look at these verses, and I'm just going to point out, highlight these things. Um, Philip preached Jesus to whom? To the Ethiopian eunuch, to the Ethiopian official. And then he says, one hinders me from being baptized once they came upon water. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he baptized him. Just that simple. The specific part that was added made the account of the Ethiopian's faith active rather than passive. All right? But when we consider the entire account, and then even consider the greater context of Acts 8, there really isn't a problem understanding that this man, he had faith. Think about it. He says, he, he comes to him, guided by the Lord himself, right? Philip comes to this, to this uh, Ethiopian, and he says, what are you reading? 
right? I'm reading here. I don't understand. I need someone to guide me. Okay, so he tells him what? About the Christ. So even though we don't have specifically this, potentially now, this this, um, overt uh, response in faith, we do have it earlier when Philip was baptizing because scriptures say they believed and then they were baptized. So I believe that all is really happening here is that there's a pattern that, that we're seeing shown. All right? And so here we have this man uh, baptized. Now, let's, let's go by mode real quick. This is important. Then he came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. Right? And then they went down into the water. Now, some people, they, they really minimize this. The, the mode really isn't important. Okay? Um, I do believe that the mode is important, but I also think there's some evidence for that mode, which is to be submersed in water. First of all, the word means what? Immerse. Okay? And we saw exactly what it means. Now, here's the thing. The the Ethiopian official was traveling back home, probably making, had been making a a pilgrimage from uh, Jerusalem going back to Ethiopia. Do you think that this prominent official would have had enough water on him for his travels to where he could have either poured or sprinkled if necessary? Yeah. I mean, that's just a logical conclusion. If it was pouring or sprinkling, he had plenty of water. He had a canteen, so to speak. But instead, they stop when they see a body of water. Enough water where they go down into the water and come back up out of the water. All right? Now, we'll get to the the importance of that in just a moment. There's another passage that I think can add some understanding to all of this in Acts chapter 10. Peter was sent to the household of Cornelius. As he preached the gospel to them, the passage says that the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Now, This was a very unique thing because this was the first time that we're we're talking about being outside of of, of Israel. We're talking about Gentiles. And I believe that this was a sign that God gave that they had received Christ. He preached to them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. It was very dramatic baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. We've already talked about that. But look at what verses. I'm sorry, I got to get past that. There we go. Look at what verses 47 and 48 say. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So we see here again that this, this baptism is water baptism. It's, it's, it's immersion and it is not baptism by the Holy Spirit. There's an obvious uh, difference here between the two in this passage they should not be baptized who have re- should they not be baptized who have received the holy spirit we know that receiving the holy spirit as a believer is that point of baptism by the spirit that's when he makes us alive so now we we come here and we see that now they need to be baptized as believers so let's bring all this to a conclusion here and as we do this i am going to dismiss those now who are going to be baptized. Um, Your conclusion's coming a little bit later, okay? 
So if you, uh, if you need a change, please, you are dismissed now. Uh, those who are going to be baptized, and we will see you a little bit later in the fellowship hall in the gym. All right? So let's conclude our time here. And first of all, let, let's um, take a look at the elements of water baptism. It's commanded. We know that spirit baptism was not commanded. It's a physical act of man. There's a spiritual meaning behind it. There's spiritual significance. But it's not related to our salvation. The mode is immersion in water, and it follows salvation. We have seen the scriptures that both spirit baptism and water baptism are linked to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Through our study, it should also be clear that they are different. Spirit baptism is an act of God, the Holy Spirit, when he immerses or places us into or identifies us in the person of Christ through his work of making a person alive when they put their faith in Christ. Now, as we consider now immersion, water baptism, if we're already immersed into, I'm sorry, it's not there yet. If we're thinking of spirit baptism, if we're already immersed into Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, then why is water baptism important or even necessary? It's a valid question, isn't it? I think it has a valid answer, but we can ask the question, wait a minute, I've already been baptized in Christ. Something that I did not do on my own, I'm in him. I'm identified with him. So now why does this matter? Now, I want to say a couple of things. It is true that we strongly, in our church, many churches like ours, emphasize that water baptism has nothing to do with our actual salvation. We emphasize that a lot. Why? Because we don't want people feeling that there is a work to be done in order to be saved. The scriptures clearly tell us that is not the case. Making this distinction is important, but maintaining the importance of believers' baptism is also important. So why is water baptism or believers' baptism important? First, Jesus commanded it. He commanded us to be baptized. Second, baptism is an outward public display and profession of what has already taken place in our hearts. True faith is not only a mental understanding. It is placing our full trust in who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he has done for us, that he paid for our sins by dying in our place, he was buried, and he rose again. Again, those three elements. Through baptism, we identify with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Third, by identifying with Christ, we are also publicly declaring our loyalty to Christ and obediently following him. In other words, what we're saying is, I'm Christ's. I, I am publicly telling you, I believe who he is, what he's done, and I'm going to follow him. Now, one last closing thought that I think is important. Baptism may not feel as important to us in our culture because we happen to enjoy religious freedom, right? The five people that are being baptized this morning, unless there's something really wild that I don't know about, have no danger of being arrested, of losing their lives, or probably even being criticized 
for being baptized. Now, that's our culture. We can't help that, all right? So I'm not, I'm not being critical of any of us who are followers of Christ, who have, who have been obedient in baptism. I'm simply saying that's our culture. But in other cultures, there, uh, there are significant risks, okay? First off, if we just simply follow Christ in another culture, we can lose our life, right? But in other cultures, so there's the first ones, right? Countries, groups of people, whatever. If you say, I'm a follower of Christ, that can cost you everything. And then obviously down from there. But then in other cultures, there's no significant consequences unless you identify solely with Jesus. So declaring an exclusive relationship with the Lord as your God and Savior through water baptism is one step too far. A great example, Hindu culture. They, I'm told that they have a billion gods. And that's good because they have like a billion people, right? So they're covered. No, no. So. I don't mean to make light of it. What I'm trying to say is this. For, for you to say, yeah, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's my God. Great. But when you say he's the only one, he is the way, the truth, the life, and I am following him and I'm identifying exclusively with him, now you have a significant problem with the culture. In some parts of India, for example, you lose your family. You lose your job. You lose everything. Doesn't matter what social strata you're in, you're done. It's not unheard of in Japan, for example, if someone becomes a follower of Christ for their family to hold a funeral for them. Now think about this. Japan, small island, family-owned property, passed on from generation to generation. You lose everything. You can be a Christian. But when you get baptized, you're out. All right? We don't have that kind of weight. Do you think it was possible that in the day and age we're talking about here that that weight did exist? Absolutely. So here's my point. Whether or not we feel it, whether or not we face the consequences that the early church faced does not change the fact that Jesus was saying, I want your loyalty. Make disciples and then baptize them. Let's kind of turn that around in perspective. You follow me and then you identify with me and then learn about me, right? So that's what we're talking about here, folks. One last thing, baptism, we believe, is a step to church membership. We've already voted on these folks pending their baptism, okay? And I'm sure that they're all going to make it through just fine. So this is what the scriptures tell us in Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. 
And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They received the word, they heard the message, they believed it, and then they were baptized, and then they were added to them. All right? So baptism then allows us to then be a part of the church. Now, stop and think about it for a minute. The local church is part of what the scriptures call the body of Christ, right? Publicly identifying with Christ goes hand in hand with desiring to be a part of what represents him on earth. Think about it. I want to be a member of, of a church. Great. Um, according to what we believe, what we see in Scripture, you need to be baptized. No, no, I don't want to identify with Jesus. I just want to be a part of the church. It, it doesn't go. It doesn't mesh. So it's really kind of obvious that identifying with Christ after our salvation and making that public profession is really the same as wanting to be a part of Christ, a part of his church. Okay? All right. We've concluded our time here. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I do want us to kind of think about what's happening next in this way. This is an extension of our service. All right? I know we might need to have a little bit of a break, but if I can just ask you to, as quickly as possible, move into the gymnasium, which is right down the hallway here. You won't be able to miss it. And gather together, and then we will have our baptism service. Now, we have five people being baptized. I'm just going to tell you right now, we're pretty much just going to be baptizing them because they've already given their public profession of faith. All right? Uh, they have met with uh, us as leadership, and they have uh, expressed their, their testimony to our church and we have already, as I said, pending their baptism, uh, uh, admitted them into membership. And so we're excited about this. If, if you are a friend or a family member is here, we're really happy that you are here to witness this as well. Uh, but I just want to, to uh, have all of us keep in mind the fact that this is grounded in the gospel. And I would really be doing a disservice if I didn't pause and just say that if you don't know today, whether or not you're going to go to heaven, whether or not your sins are forgiven, whether or not you are actually a part of Christ, based upon what we explained to you today, it's not baptism. It's not church membership. We've seen very clearly it is a simple faith in what Christ has done for us, who he is, and the fact that he died, was buried, and rose again for us. He remitted. He took those sins away. And that's based upon our faith. We need to respond in faith to that. So if you have any questions about that, please, please see one of us today. Uh, in a nutshell, every person, even though they might not be speaking it, is demonstrating through what they're doing, being above the water, the death of Christ, going under the water, showing that they are buried, uh, showing Christ's burial, and then, and then his rising again. It's that picture coming back up out of the water is rising, his rising again. They're not rising again. But anyway, all of that to say, it is a picture of what has already been done in their life. And so they too are giving you a public testimony of the gospel. So if you need Jesus today, we just want to encourage you, come see one of us. We're going to close our time in prayer. And then do we have a song in here. Okay, and then, and then we'll be dismissed after that, all right? Right into the gym. Thank you very much. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we have just talked about the work that you do in a believer's life, what an amazing immediate transition that takes place from death to life. From not having a relationship with you to then being placed into you by the Holy Spirit. Of being regenerated, of being made new, having a new life in Christ as we respond in faith to what you've done for us. But Lord, we know that there's also that response that we need to have, that act of obedience, once that has taken place, to simply show forth that we are identifying with you through the water baptism, the believer's baptism, that is a picture of what you've already done. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. And we thank you, Lord, for the five candidates this morning and ask that you will bless. In Jesus' name, amen.